Welcome to the Beyond the Tee podcast, an in-depth look at the life of all newsmakers from coaches to players and more, told by newsmakers themselves as well as those closest to them. The Beyond the Tee podcast is hosted by VolQuest publisher Brett Hubbs and 30-year college administration veteran Carmen Tigano. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Tee. I'm Brent Hubbs of VolQuest.com with the legendary... Carmen Tigano, veteran of college athletics administration, Tennessee historian, college athletics historian, and a man who knows basically everybody around the country in college athletics, I think. Uh, we're continuing our look uh, up close at one of the icons in college football and a legend and a good friend of ours, and that is John T. Majors. Carmen, we got a couple of Coach Majors' um, closest guys with us today. Uh, to, to talk about his impact on their lives and his impact on the world of college athletics. You know, you do these podcasts, and um, some things are a little difficult, but some things are easy. And I'm, I'm very sure that these two young men, not young men, hell, they're old now, um, <laughs> have, have, have stories and relationships and feelings and passion for John Majors, second to no, no one we've talked to. We've talked to a lot of folks about Coach Majors, and we're really lucky to have Glenn and, and David on today because they knew him really well as a person. And that, that's what we're hoping to uh, convey today. Yeah. David Moon and Glenn Strano joining us here on the podcast. David, let's start with you a little bit. Uh, and, and Glenn, jump in here too. Simple question. Describe John Majors. <laughs> uh, how long is this podcast? <laughs> you, you know, um, uh, First of all, it's really strange calling him John Majors, um, and and I and I have referred to him as John Majors uh, since he since he passed, but never to anyone in his family, and uh, and I once I once called him by his first name late in his life, and and he and I had a really cool relationship late in his life, um, and I called him by his first name on purpose, and then he looked at me. And he, and he went from being John Majors to being Coach Majors. And he said, what did you say? And I said, Coach Majors. And, uh, <laughs> that's what I thought you said. And, and he didn't mean it in the sense, were you disrespecting me? It was as if he was shocked that I would do that. Um, and I was just playing with him. So to describe him, he's among the most complex people I've ever known. This was a guy who was a... a a strict, you know, he was raised by a football coach whose name was Shirley. Okay. So when you talk about a boy named Sue, imagine being the child of the boy named Sue. And, and so he, he grew up in this uh, strict authoritarian world, but yet he was a, 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 a lover of nature and, and of museums. When he'd go to cities, uh, uh, new places he'd go to museums and he loved the opera he was he was politically liberal but you would have never thought that if you just knew him superficially um, and as a coach uh, the the thing that you'll hear said over and over and over again about him is that he was an incredibly stick he was incredible stickler for detail you know and on top of that Glenn he was incredibly competitive in, 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 in everything, right? Like, like no, it was, yeah. it was about winning. No question. You know, when, when I think, you know, coach majors, he, he lived and did everything with passion. 
You know, he was it's, he was enthusiastic about everything. But yeah, I mean, he was you know d- disciplinarian. You know, um, and and he you know hard work. You know, was demanded and expected, and and you know anything less was uh, wasn't tolerated. And, uh, and but he you know it was a, he was a work hard, play hard person. And, you know, he he wanted everyone to work hard, uh, improve be successful but he wanted everyone to have a good time you know he wanted us to have fun you know that was true glenn you know the way uh the way he treated us on bowl trips i mean that became really obvious on that you know the uh bowl practices were hard but you know he always told his story about uh where'd they play they go a cotton bowl is that what it was they, they went to some bowl game and and uh, bowden wyatt uh put them in a hotel that was 40 miles out of town and they didn't do anything. And he, and he said that he always um, committed himself that he was ever a head coach, that he was going to show his teams, whatever the cities they went to had to offer. And, and he did that. Yeah. And he, it was a reward. Bowl games were a reward for us and he wanted us to enjoy it. Yeah. You, You know, David mentioned later life. I, um, got to really became closer with John because we had heart surgeries at the same time. And we went through therapy together in the same building at UT hospital. And you really connect with someone. If you already know them, you really connect with them. And, you know, there's a couple of stories you guys don't want to hear them. But the one thing he said to me one day, we were sitting there having coffee and he got mad because I told him he should drink decaf coffee. And he got really mad at me. I don't even like coffee to begin with. I'm not drinking decaf. Anyway, we sat there, we're having a cup of coffee, and he said something to me really interesting. He said, one of the more difficult things for him to do was to show his players how to be a head coach, but yet care for them. It was hard for him to do because he was old school, and he wanted to. He really cared for his players. He would sit and talk to me at UT Hospital, David and Glenn, and all he would talk about were past players and what they were doing in their current life, and he knew. He knew who was selling insurance. He knew who was a banker. He knew David Moon had a, had a firm downtown. He knew uh, Glenn Strannell was with a gas company. It was amazing. And he said to me, he said, it was really diff- difficult when I was the head coach to show that passion and how much I cared about it. But he really cared about you guys. Glenn, I never he had really a did. sense that, Glenn, when we were playing, I never had a sense that he did care about us. No. <laughs> he, he, he hit it well. <laughs> yeah and i didn't i didn't mean that as a joke and and, uh, and i didn't mean it as a criticism either i just thought of him as the head football coach and and uh and and it later became obvious to me that he cared deeply about his players and he cared about players and i used to hear him talk about the pain of of kicking a guy off the team yeah you know people yeah. who he cared for and um yeah it it but I, I didn't know that existed when I was in school. Yeah, he hit it. Huh? <laughs> so so with, with that being the case, both you, David and Glenn, I mean, how do you how did you guys develop the relationships that you had with him outside of football? Not that you disliked him when you played for him. I, I'm not suggesting that at all. But how did it sort of come back around full circle where, where there was this relationship with him and this bond that you had with him that extended beyond, I guess, player and coach and became a true friendship. How does that, how does that evolve? I guess is what I'm asking. 
Yeah, David, you need to take that one because really my relationship with Coach Majors was was primarily through David and, and the relationship that he built through him. So I'll let you take that, David. I, uh, Brent, I don't, I don't know that there's a – I have a formula or a, a list of three things that occurred that, that would explain it. Um, we, we just ended up being around each other and, um, uh, and it just kind of happened. And, and it, to, to be, to be somewhat joking about it when, when, uh, when he came back to Tennessee, um, anybody remember what year, when did he leave Pitt the second time? 70, 77. No, 90, 96 was oh, his the last year. Time. 93, okay. 94, 95, and 96. 96 was his last season at Pitt. So he was at Pitt through 96, and, and, and he and Mrs. Major stayed up there another year or two. And then he came back to Knoxville, mm-hmm. and, um, and he, and he kind of didn't, you, you know, because of, because of relationships and things, he was kind of a man without a, you know, on an island. And, yeah, and I think I think the reason that he and I became uh, close and we spent time together is because I invited him to my office once, and then he realized it was a place where he could come and drink free coffee and have people <laughs> and have people mail things for him, and so <laughs> and, and so uh, I, I I think I, I got the the fortune of becoming close to him simply because we became his uh, office suites uh, location by accident. And, and you know, David, he was proud to tell people he had an office downtown. Did he really? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say, Coach, what are you doing? Well, I got to go to my office downtown. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. And then, and then uh, he, every time he'd come to his office downtown, uh, uh, he, he'd forget which building his office was in. And so he would. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we would sometimes get a call. So again, late in his life, and and we would get a call from somebody on the twenty first floor of the building next door, and they'd go, "Coach Majors is on his way to your office." I <laughs> <laughs> want you to know he's running a little late. You can make him run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, 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 go ahead, Carmen. Because no, because and and he chewed out the parking garage attendant because he had to pay for his parking. <laughs> you, you you guys talk about him as kind of the person later on in life. What what's what's it like when you walked into his arena as a young player uh, to to be a coach? I mean, to be a player and he's your coach. What what was those? We, we talked to some of the pit players. And they talked about just. Um, you know, how tough the off season was and, and, and kind of how he went about things early in his career when he came from Iowa State to Pitt. For you guys, what was it like stepping into the arena after being recruited by him to become one of his players? Especially for you, Glenn, being from Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, uh, you know being from Pittsburgh, I grew up uh, a Pitt fan. I, I you know, the University of uh, Pittsburgh is an Oakland community and in Pittsburgh. My parents were born and raised in Pittsburgh or in Oakland, in the Oakland community. And, uh, you know, I was in a Pitt household. You know, the year uh, Pitt won a national championship with Coach Majors, I attended every home game. And, oh. and, and I, uh, you know, I was a huge fan. And I, I remember my disappointment when, when he said he was leaving Pittsburgh to go to Tennessee. 
And uh, so, I, you know, I, I was a big admirer, which is really the reason, you know, when he came back, a few, you know, a few years later recruiting me is why I chose to attend UT because of Coach Majors. So I had a, a you know, I, a, probably a, a different first impression because of, my, you know, my childhood and, and I just started playing uh you know, football right around the, you know, the time they won a national championship. And, and he, you know, he was an icon in Pittsburgh, you know, in, uh, you know, in the seventies, the Steelers won four Super Bowls, the Pirates won two world series. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, Pitt wins a national championship, has a Heisman trophy winner. And, you know, coach majors was as big a sports celebrity in Pittsburgh as Terry Bradshaw and Joe Green and, Frank yeah. Harris and Willie Stargell. I mean, he, he was right. You know, he was among all of them. When when he arrived at, at, at Pittsburgh, I was teaching at Newcastle High School, and I remember on the front page of the Post. <clears throat> excuse me, the front page of the Post Gazette, Glenn, was a picture of John Majors, kind of a cartoon character, you know, a, a, a sketching, you know, and under his arm was a book. And the book was by Norman Vincent Peale. And it said, enthusiasm makes the difference. And it was just kind of, they put that together. And John probably never read it. He may have, or Coach Majors. But the, the picture was him running as fast as he could with this book. It said, enthusiasm makes the difference. And in the article, and I'll, I'll remember the name, the guy's name, you will too, Glenn. Uh, he, I read the article and he went on and on about the enthusiasm that this Southern guy was going to bring to pit football and that it was real. But I remember the guy saying, the only problem is, will, will we from Western Pennsylvania be able to understand his Southern draw? <laughs> <laughs> but he had that book under his arm. I can remember like it was yesterday. I'm so yeah, you know, Carr, it's, it's funny to talk about uh, uh, him running around with a book. He, he was a lifelong reader and learner. He read the New York Times every single day, yeah. and he annotated it as he read it. And so he made notes, he highlighted, he, he wrote questions in the margins. And, um, and when he died uh, in, in, uh, uh, on his back porch, uh, he was out there, had a bunch of reading materials, and, and he, had his, uh, he had his yellow notepad where he was taking notes. And mm -hmm. on his yellow notepad, um, there was a note that said, learn to use tablet computer, surf internet, iPad, and then it said dash, and he had written out the name of someone he was going to call to teach him these things. It says, call Gil Brandt. <laughs> Gil Brandt was like 92 years old. <laughs> and that's who he was going to get to teach him about computing. Yeah. But where did you think? Where do you think the quest for learning came from for, for Coach Majors? You, He's you a mean, teacher. I, mean, I know that one. That's an easy. Okay. One. I, I asked him once. Uh, Charles Davis and I were were talking once about uh, how Coach Majors had so many guys who who coached for him. His his coaching tree. His coaching tree is probably the largest in in college football. Jackie Sherrill talked about that. Yeah, and, and uh, I've, I've forgotten how, how large it's gotten, but it's 30-something guys who he hired, went on to become head NFL or college coaches. And, and Charles Davis and I were joking about it once, about why is that? And, and we just figured either he was really good at 
at recognizing talent. He was really good at developing talent or um, he fired people so readily. Eventually everybody worked for him. <laughs> um, but here's what, here's what he said, Brent. He, uh, I asked him, I said, why do you think you had so many uh, assistant coaches who became head coaches? And he didn't even think about it. He didn't, he didn't pause. He said, well, I'm a teacher. That's what I do. I was like my father, you know, I'm a teacher. And I think to be a great teacher, you've got to be a great student. And, uh, yeah. and that's why he was always doing that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I mean, impressive. I mean, when you think about where he came from and, and kind of the, you know, the era and everything for, for him to always continue up until his final moments on this earth to be trying to learn and to want to learn, I, I think is, a, is an impressive it's an impressive feat. Did did you know that when you played for him? Did, did, I mean, you, you mentioned that on bowl trips, he would want you to see places and, and try to broaden your horizons. Is Did y'all have conversations when you were with him that were outside of football as players that were about life and about learning? Was there more to it to him than just X's and O's as players? Yeah, you've never you've never been in a meeting with a coach as a player, have you, Brent? Um, <laughs> now, the only uh, discussion I ever had with him about life out of football was about whether or not I wanted uh, to accelerate my life after football uh, uh, by virtue of him sitting me on a bus back to Hazel Green, Alabama, if I didn't practice harder or something. No, I never, I, I never had a conversation with him about anything other than football when I was in school. Glenn, did you? No, no, likewise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he would, you know, in, in, in group meetings, uh, you know, he, he would pass on, you know, words of wisdom or life lessons. I mean, he was good at that, but, uh, certainly not in a one-on-one type setting. It was more just about, you know, he would ask about family and, class and you know but not uh, much beyond that i find that fa i find that fascinating as a part of the complexity because he loved his players particularly after you were after you had stopped playing for him he, he knew all about you guys okay you talk to you guys former players about him after their playing career and i know this is not with everybody that played for him i'm sure there's somebody out there that that didn't quote, have a great experience, but, but it's almost like there's a real shift when you turn in your helmet the last time for him and kind of how the relationship evolves. And, and maybe I'm overstating that, but that's, and talking to people, that's kind of what it feels like, which I think is just really interesting that, that it, it evolves the way it does when you finish playing. Yeah, I, I would think it would be more of coaches in that era as far as, you know, having a player coach relationship and having that distance and not, you know, making it personal. Uh, I, I would think it's, you know, I, I think it's certainly changed now, but I, I, that, that would be my guess on that is, you know, it, it's, th that was just the type of coach that's, that's the way he was coached. And, and uh, you know, that's the way he, you know, he thought it should be. Yeah, I, that's a great point, Glenn. The era thing, um, post you know, post World War II. You know, he was the uh, he was the last of those um, of those icon coaches yeah. uh, in the South. You know, you you had Shug Jordan and Vince Dooley and Coach Bryant and and Coach Majors, and and he was the last of that group. Um, I, I think I don't know when Pat Dye retired, um, 
but but those those guys were larger than life figures and um and and that's a little different than than a lot of head coaches today even very very successful head coaches you know uh <clears throat> towards the end when, and david knows what i'm talking about we um we, we did a project with him on you know some some things and and we went through the different coaches he had and uh one day i asked him he'd come to my office a lot and one day i asked him i said you know look at this list. Is this list really accurate? Well, he really got upset. He, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. he pointed out and he, he corrected me when I admitted a few people, he added them. My point is I asked the same question you asked him, David, about, you know, this is a very impressive list. How, how did you know these guys were, were going to be successful? And maybe you and Charles are right. Maybe because he fired so many of them, but you know what he said? He said, passion. He said, I knew who had passion and who didn't have passion. And I said, how'd you know that coach? He said, you can feel it. You can just feel it. He said, when I interviewed Jackie Sherrill, Jimmy Johnson, he went through a whole list. I could feel their passion. He said, because their passion was the same passion as I had. And, and you know, and, the, the, the passion of the guys on that uh, coaching tree list, it went both ways after his, uh, after his death, after coach major's death, someone published the list of the, of the coaching tree and um, and and um, I got a text message from someone I'd never met, and it was Gene Chiswick, and he said, "I'm supposed to be on. I'm on that list. I need yeah. to be on. I'm on. Yeah. You left me out. Somebody left me off the list. Right. And uh, we went back, and sure enough, there's uh, Gene Chiswick in the 1992 Prescott he, or whatever year it was. He, he came. I'll tell you exactly what it was. He came in the spring of 1990. He's in the 90 Prescott. And then he left, he left, and Coach Majors hired uh, Steve um, Caldwell to take his place. And Gene uh, Chiswick left. He, you're right, he's in the program, 1990 program. Good call. Yeah, he, he, he wanted to be sure he was on the list. <laughs> That's beautiful. It really is beautiful. The other thing is Andy Kelly said something to me going way back to the last 15, 20 minutes you guys have been talking. I'm going back there. Andy Kelly said something to me. I remember one day he said, uh, I didn't understand everything you guys are saying. He said, I didn't understand Coach Majors until I left, until I was gone. And I looked back on my four or five years there playing quarterback for him. And then I really realized who Coach Majors was. I thought that was interesting. So that's basically everything you guys are saying. And, uh, um, you, you, you know, know there's not, probably not, another aspect of that thing that Andy said. And that is, it's not only about leaving and it's not only about being able to see it with some distance, but it's also about, you know, at 28 years old, you're a little more mature at 30 years old. You're under, you know, once you have kids, it becomes a little easier to, to maybe understand some of the things he did. And, and some, I think it just takes a little maturity to fully uh, appreciate it. Uh so how would you how would you rate his influence on your life? I mean, it's you know probably immeasurable, you know, especially at, at the, you know the you know the, the eight, you know, enter you know, you know I Dave and I both you know left home uh, you know as a teenager and you know at, at those college years you know you 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 
from a kid, a knucklehead teenager, you know, and, and start growing into an adult. And, you know, that's the, you know, formidable time then. And, and you know, the, the lessons, you know, the, the discipline required and, and, you know, the, the hard work and, you know, everything associated with what Coach Majors taught is something that, you know, sticks with all of us, I know. And uh, so I, it, it's, it's really immeasurable. Yeah, the, um, the best example of his influence in my life I can give you is um, uh, when I hear one of my children who were born, uh, you know, eight years after he left Tennessee, you know, so my kids never knew him as a coach. And I hear my kids repeat things that he said at practice or in meetings that they've only heard from me and my friends, you know, they've heard Glenn say things, you know, I, I heard uh, my, my, my kids were in a play once and, and one of the, their castmates made some comment about, you know, practice makes perfect. And, uh, and my, my son jumped up immediately and said, no, perfect practice makes perfect. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, one other thing, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this. We, after uh, um, our, our interviews with the uh, two kids, from, not kids, again, they're older than you guys, from Pitt and Jackie Sherrill, we, we brought up the relationship John had with Tim Karen. You can't have a re relationship like that today. College athletics is not structured that way. The trainer reports to someone above him, then someone above him reports to someone above him. Whereas basically John Majors reported to Tim Karen in a funny way and vice versa. And that relationship, you know, uh, um, John and Dave from Pitt talked about it. And so did Jackie Sherrill about that relationship, how, how, how unique it was. And um, I want you guys to talk a little bit about that because both those guys, I'm sure has impact on your life uh, equally. I'll just, I'll say this, you know, <clears throat> we could talk about Tim for a couple of hours as well. Um, but it, you may not uh, college athletics may not lend itself to reporting relationships like that anymore, but every successful person has one or more people on whom they can fully rely. Somebody who is a complete confidant and it doesn't matter whether the person is in their direct reporting structure or not. And, and that's what Tim was to Coach Majors, is, is that Tim was the one guy who could go to Coach Majors and say, hey, you can't do that. Or, you know, it, and he would, I'm sure he would never do that in front of anybody. But, but a person can't be successful without someone who will be truthful with him about everything. And um, I, I, I promise you, somebody um, at the University of Alabama goes in and closes the door with Nick Saban and throws the, the bullcrap flag when they think it's necessary. Yeah, you, you may be right about that. I, we, have, we haven't experienced that in a long time here. So um, that, that, that's a good point because there's so much transition going on in college athletics. People move a lot and, and it's difficult. You can't bring your trainer anymore. You can't do that. You go to take a job, and in most cases, you go and you accept what they have there. John was able to bring Tim from Pitt with a four-year uh, relationship and it just grew and grew and grew and um, you know those guys those guys in pit they referred to Tim as the big guy if you want something done you went to the big guy anyway
Josh Heupel has eight employees who do what Tim Karen did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, that, and that's the way it is in college athletics. I mean, in, in modern day, it's, it's you know, you got to have an assistant to an assistant to everything. Whereas, and I think that's a different element to the era that we're talking about. And I, and I think that's where Coach Majors was unique. I mean, his tree is it's amazing his tree is that big when you consider the staff size that they had compared to what it is now you know and and when you look at it i mean he was immersed in everything as a head coach he you know glenn he didn't get a daily he might have got a daily report but but he knew what was going to be on that report before he got the daily report because he he had his fingerprints on everything within the program uh, which is unique to, to that era. And I think that lends to you guys as as players for him having the influence that he had on you, not just when you played, but for later on in life, because it was so much more hands-on. You know, if you yeah. had an issue, if you had an issue, he was gonna come you had to go see him about it. You didn't necessarily go through four levels before you ever got to him because because it was just different back then. Yeah, but I think that ties directly to uh, what Carm is talking about, the relationship with Tim Karen, because that was a, a direct link, because Tim knew everything, and that's how Coach Majors knew everything. He, you know, Tim was, was that was that link, and and, and uh, you know he would inform Coach Majors and advise Coach Majors, and 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 I'm sure sometimes didn't inform Coach Majors <laughs> when he thought it was uh, the right thing to do. Yeah. It was a unique relationship. I can recall one day sitting with a couple guys, and Tim was one of them. We were doing something. I don't know what it was. It was down in the old training room, down there by the equipment room, the old Stokely. And we were sitting in the room, and all of a sudden, Tim jumped up. And we all looked at him and said, what's wrong? He said, Coach Major's in the building. And I don't know if it was Bill Hagden or Doug Matthews. Someone said, no, 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 no. He's out of town. He's, he's not coming back till tomorrow. Tim said, no, he's in the building right now. Tim got up and walked out, and sure enough, there was Coach Majors in the building. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Believe me. I looked at those guys and said, wow, what is this? Yeah. Guys, listen, it's been a blast catching up with you guys and talking to you about Coach Majors and the complexity that makes him an iconic figure. I know they're unveiling a statue at Pittsburgh um uh, this week in, in front of the the john the johnny majors classic between tennessee and pitt and i know uh how important that would be for him i know how important tennessee was for him and most importantly i know how important his players were for him uh so thank you for spending some time with us and sharing some stories about playing for him getting to know him later on in life and and about the complexity uh, of a man who a lot of people probably on the surface think is more of a simple guy than, than what he really is david yeah, there was uh, John Majors, Johnny Majors, and Coach Majors, and they were three totally different people. Yeah, and drum majors. I never <laughs> knew drum majors. <laughs> <laughs> he used to sign his stuff, drum majors. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank thank you for your time. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for joining us, and uh, enjoy the ball game this weekend, and we'll catch up to you soon, okay? I, I appreciate you guys doing this. I really do. This has really been a nice moment for to, to, to reminisce. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, appreciate it.